Last week you cut me off and it made me really angry, Jordan. I cut you off every week and it makes you angry every week and it fulfills my heart with joy. Yes, but this not time I actually fill, remembered not about. Not just fills my heart, fulfills my heart with joy. Fulfills your heart with joy. <laughs> not a half fill, a full fill. Oh, good. So <laughs> glad that your tank is overflowing. No, you cut me off because we were talking about Breaking Bad. Wait, can I tell you something real quick? Stop it! No. We were talking about Breaking Bad and how when we finished it, we were like kind of lost meandering around this thing that we call life, but finding no meaning. (laughs) And then we found this three episode documentary thing of Murder Among the Mormons. Which I'm sure our listener base has heard of. Directed by... The director of Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, <laughs> which is really funny. To be honest, I didn't know that he had directed Nacho Libre, too. Yeah. Seems fitting, though, right? It does. They're both so stupid. And it only shows through in the... Uh, there's only one part where it totally feels yes. like it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. With the Uzi. Wait, with the what? Where it shows them speeding off in the car and they yes. take the Uzi. There's, there's some scenes they recreate stuff. And that's where you can see the Napoleon Dynamite guy's flair for kind of goofy, goofy, weird, sad. Yeah, I don't know how to explain. Where these his two aesthetic. friends are like, this is about as dangerous as two Utah boys could get, but they like go riding off and shoot up old ruined homes and stuff. Yeah. But so be warned, we probably will do some spoilers of that here in this episode as well. But we really enjoyed it. It's really a quick watch. It's an interesting... I think most Mormons could watch it and not be offended. Even (laughs) though I think there's some things in it that they should consider. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I think that there's enough confirmation bias that no matter where you fall, (laughs) you can find what you want to find out of this from uh, a religious standpoint. If you don't know the story, you should go watch it and listen to this. But the big thing... this, This is what I knew going in. That there was this guy that had forged a letter by Martin Harris that said that Joseph Smith told him that a white salamander led him to the gold plates, which obviously the authenticity of it would make it really complicated for the church that's maintained a very specific story. I mean, in church history is very, there's lots of differing stories that say different things because Joseph Smith rewrote his history multiple times. And not to say that it's not true, but to say that he remembered things differently sometimes. But this letter would really make him confusing a salamander and a angel hard to reconcile. Yes. So I had never heard of the salamander letter before you and I were together. Jordan. Like this is something that I'm sure my parents heard about and were, I mean, they were alive for, but it is something that we have neatly tucked away. Um, I only know as it a culture because of Brian Mortensen, who is one of my mission companions. He was a weird Mormon history buff, but doesn't listen to the podcast. So I'm not giving him too much lip service, but <laughs> yeah, he, he opened my eyes to a lot of things because to me as a missionary, the eye opening part of it that I think they've found a way to justify in the show is that like, well, if it's a real prophet, why can't you just pray and ask God and God would tell him that it was a forgery because the church bought it not knowing what to do with it because it was deemed authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a really nice interview in the show. Just one. And I know they probably put it in there just to appease some people. But it's the guy that used to be the public affairs director who's bald and he sits in a very nice room. Mm-hmm. Skinnier guy. But he gives a whole monologue about how like. Well, it really just defeats the agency if 
the prophet can just know one thing or another thing right away. That's like God wants us to be able to be tested and stuff. Like, like there's just one little that it feels almost out of place that they threw it in there. But I can tell they're like Mormons are gonna watch this. We need to show them that it's okay that the prophet didn't know this right away. Yeah, that's how I watched it, at least. Or at least and so that, that, that the church bad, doesn't come out swinging too. Yeah, not that I think that's even a bad justification. Um, I think more people of our religion should probably notice that God's probably not giving step-by-step instructions every single day. Um, did God tell you this directly? Because if so, you should not be speaking <laughs> for the church, Jordan. Hey, prophets got got called outside the church all the time in the Bible and Book of Mormon, so. Yeah, but this Could is Jesus' me. restored gospel. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that this was fascinating to watch. It's just three hours, which, I mean, in the days of COVID... <laughs> Is that even a drop in the bucket when it comes to media consumption? I actually am proud of them for only making it. They could have dragged it out. And there's some, been some documentaries where I'm like, we need to speed this up. Three episodes is perfect for this weird little story. Uh, I agree. But we kind of compared it to Breaking Bad. Yeah, we made lots of Breaking Bad connections. Yeah, that his wife really didn't know what was going on. That she clues in. Well... Uh, you get the impression that he was kind of a misogynist and that she very much had like a separation of roles from the man who was the provider who took care of the finances. And and at one point in this documentary, she says, um, you know, he never let me into his office. It was always locked. But I just viewed it as one less room for me to clean in the house. <laughs> and I was like, oh, see, and that's why I always girl. leave my office door wide open for you and i still don't clean it (laughs) um but he was definitely the best at forging but you know what i like about him in his interview what i like that he's there's like some quote in there that oh i can't recall all the way but basically it amounts to people like to say that i'm the best but i'm really not it just makes them feel better about being fooled (laughs) oh yeah which is crazy. It is crazy. Because he probably actually is the best. Yeah. But it's a That weird... was like the biggest difference between him and Walt in my mind. Because Walt is like, I am the best. Yeah, I am that's Heisenberg. True. That's where but it... this guy is like, no, you guys are just kind of stupid that you didn't figure it out. Yeah. And so obviously we had watched this right after Breaking Bad. But it was funny. Like an hour after Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. This yeah. was not like a couple days. Yeah. But seeing somebody who's doing something illegal... And he's not just doing something illegal, but he's the best that's ever been seen at forging documents. Mm-hmm. He's forging the he's fooling the FBI. Yeah, the FBI authenticates it. And he's making all this money, but it's never enough because he's always spending it and mm-hmm. making people give him money before he gives them the documents. And so he owes people money. And so he's he's living this double life where he goes to New York and gets drunk and then he comes back home and is just like a Mormon, normal Mormon guy. Uh-huh. It's so crazy. And then him resorting to violence to get himself out of it, basically. And it would, it's so, like, cold and separate from him that the day of, he still doesn't know who he's going to bomb. Like, he's made these bombs, and he still doesn't really know who he's going to kill with them. Yeah, that one, uh, I wish there were, I kind it of was feel clearer. like that's hard to believe. Yeah, I wonder if he's lying there. He does say that, but I, it seems like but why would he lie Steve about Christensen it? He's already guy, saying everything else. Unless he was just like, I need, I need to cause a distraction 
that will get people off my back of getting because this whole thing happened before he's supposed to have these mcclellan diaries which would show that it wasn't actually joseph smith who received the vision and the plates it was actually his brother which would obviously throw things for a loop but he never had time to forge them and so he had taken three hundred thousand dollars they never gave back to this poor guy that (laughs) that then forgives him that went bankrupt he had to sell his whole collection i liked that guy so i guess it couldn't it just seems like for him for how calculated he was but i guess he wasn't because he was also kind of living on the edge like haphazard all the time but i can see him being like if people around me are dying they're gonna give me a break to have time to forge these or whatever but it was so sad when we were talking to your parents about this your dad was like well yeah that impacted me for for years after i was always a little nervous to touch a package on the doorstep for real i mean if that was happening that close to home yeah and it's it's really i mean his forging that the whole third episode is all about how how he did it what were his techniques which is really really cool but the fact that he made these bombs work, where they just picked him up and they blew up. I don't like I, I kind of wanted to, to know how to do it. What? <laughs> not for my own not for my own use by Mike. I want to know what what was the mechanism that made it explode? Was it just picking up kind of haphazardly cuz he had to hold it to take it over there. I just want to know how it worked. Well, they they showed in a reenactment that he places it but there are two wires that aren't connected and then he wraps them together and tucks uh, okay. them in. So maybe it's like picking up after that point. Yeah. I think like I'm dredging in my memory because we binged this so fast that they were like electronic timers too. That like maybe if they're jostled after the timer goes off. This is wild conjecture. (laughs) We have no facts to back this up, but we're pretty confident. But yeah. But so just seeing him deal with hundreds of thousands of dollars living a totally different life at home. But still having to go, I don't know. It's just with the parallels we break. Using really a different name. And I'm also wondering, I wonder if people outside the church. Yeah. Yeah. He does use a different name, right? Um, this is off topic what we're saying. But they, they bring up how his whole plan for the salamander letter written in Martin Harris's handwriting mm-hmm. is that he was eventually going to bring forth the lost 116 pages, which if you're not Mormon, Makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what was interesting to me because they didn't explain that in the documentary. Yeah, that's true. They just kind of threw it out there. And I'm like, are people going to check out of this? Or is it just like if I watched a documentary about the Catholic Church and they were throwing out some things, I just would disregard it. It's not only that important, but lost 116 pages. But even, but that's such a bombshell because if he would have gone through with that, that would have changed things. That would have changed everything. And that one's a huge revelation in the show. For people who aren't like in the know for Mormon history, when Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon, his partner, Martin Harris, who the Salamander letter was supposed to be written by. Dum, 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 dum. (laughs) (laughs) That was an excerpt from. Yeah. From the glorious South Park. Anyway, um, he takes these 116 pages. It's supposed to be like the Book of Lehi, the first book of the Book of Mormon, which uh, he takes these pages home to his wife to show like, hey, I'm not just wasting my time. Here's what we've done. But then these pages go missing. And so what this guy's plan was, was after like now that the Salamander letter had been written and authenticated and the church has purchased it and like has it has you know said that it's 
true or whatever, or I guess they didn't say anything about the salamander letter, but scientifically it had been legitimized, right? Well, they show some clips from, and I don't know if it's taken out of context, they do show Gordon B. Hinckley being like, even if this is true, we shouldn't let it destroy our foundation of faith or whatever. Yeah, right? like even if this is legitimate. Um, and But he was skeptical about it being true, but he never came out and said it was not true because it, he couldn't really because it said it was, <laughs> all the experts said it was legit. Yeah, but basically since the Salamander letter had been written by Martin Harris, now there's like hand like handwriting evidence and then this guy this forger could then write the 116 pages to be whatever he wanted and it turns out he was an atheist agnostic i don't know but he well, didn't yeah. really he didn't believe in the church at all and so it was almost like a game to him isn't that what he says too and like yeah. toying with people's beliefs yeah he's let's say something like that well or maybe somebody I just thought else it was is, really interesting I think somebody might have been saying that for him, like in an interview, like how proud he must have felt when the prophet was on TV validating stuff that he gave them, you know, <laughs> that he knew was. Oh, fake. yeah. Because there was like there are some other document that Gordon B. Hinckley was using yeah. to like further prove that the Book of Mormon existed. And then he's got to be at home just chuckling, being like, that's yeah. a fake. And his chubby friend, who is my favorite character in the show. He's very eccentric. He's the one that has the Uzi and buys it with him, who looks like uh, Andy Richter from Conan when he's younger. Do you see that? If they were to remake it. I was going to say he looked a little bit like an egg, but sure. Yeah, Andy Richter looked like an egg. But he brings up a good idea. He's like, if something looks true and everybody says it's true after they test it, then it just becomes true. Yeah. Which is such a scary, because it's like, maybe if, if it's true that he actually wasn't that good at it, and maybe there's been lots of other forgers. <laughs> yeah. Like, it really opens up the door to, like, historical documents might not be as revealing as we or think. reliable. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there was this lady who was interviewed. I can't remember what expert. Was she a historical document expert? But she was saying, like, if they look this legitimate, we have no idea how far or, like, how many forgeries he did. But we do know he's forged things like... George and Martha Washington. <laughs> yeah. Abraham, and Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. And that at the age of 14, he had developed this ability to to edit coins and then to make them more valuable, I guess. And even got a certificate from the United States Treasury validating that it was real. And so he was like, it's not about whether or not it's real. It's about what people think is genuine. Yeah. And that's what gives it the value. I just realized that makes him like a mix of Walt and of Jimmy because he was fooling people, but was the best at fooling people. Yeah. Because I mean, Jimmy from Better Call Saul is what I'm referring to, but. And he never feels guilty for it. No. I mean, in a lot of, because there's an interesting but part. But he's almost likable when when they're interviewing him. Like you're horrified by the things that he's done, but at the same time, like he comes off, oh, you know, that's a good question. Yeah. Let me think yeah. about it for a second. Yeah. Anyway, it was bonkers, and you should watch it, whether watch or not it. you are in the know for Mormon faith stuff. Yeah, I, I need to need to find any. Do you have any non-Mormons? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I should talk to Brent about it. No, actually. I weeded those people out of my <laughs> life a long time ago, Jordan. Because <laughs> it would be interesting to know what people outside the church think of it. Because to me, it's so fascinating, and I think it's weird enough that it'd be interesting to anybody. But yeah, I don't know. 
I do think that the Mormon culture was the perfect culture for this crime to go down because the LDS culture is so obsessed with preserving history and finding all of the original things. And (sighs) so anyway, we highly recommend we have to wrap this episode up, but whatever we do what I want. Uh, did you want to wrap it up? Yeah, we should wrap it up. We need to go to your parents' <laughs> house and watch El Camino. El Camino. Oh, I wanted to tell you, listener slash friend, Amanison Mortensen, Linford, or Linford Mortensen, she messaged me mm-hmm. and she was telling me a funny story about just about how she notices people that are really dumb around her, but she has this coworker. Or maybe I shouldn't out her. I don't know. It doesn't matter. She has a coworker that calls the intercom at school the intercolum, like it's an intercall them. Oh, good. And Amanda hasn't corrected her. Just lets her do it. That's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, I think it's actually more fun to say. Yeah, let's get on the intercolum. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the logic is there. It makes sense. So I thought that was a funny story. And we hadn't talked about her on the podcast for a while. And she's our biggest fan. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Why? Um, what was it your parents? Oh, it wasn't nearly as funny as that example. What? Just that your dad was calling Mike Conley, Mike Connolly. Yeah, it says Connolly, which isn't technically wrong. I don't know. It's not like the biggest mistake, but he was making it its own syllable. I mean, I wouldn't like say really it. enunciating it. I wouldn't say it over an intercolum. But who, who would? <laughs> the intercolum is sacred. Um, hey, are you going to be able to survive while I'm out of town? I mean, by the time this one comes out, you'll be coming home in a couple days. Yeah. So I'll stock fun. the freezer with chicken nuggets for you. Oh, thanks, babe. I will miss you. Travel safe. Y'all, you're going to listen to this while you're away. Adrian, you're listening to this, and you are in Washington right now. I love you. I won't be listening to it, so I appreciate hearing it now. <laughs> okay, let's go to your parents' house, weirdo. Okay, bye. Bye.